I got it. Okay. So um, here we are. The climax, the Jews already had the seven out of the ten plagues. And we are going to get the Jews out of Egypt this week. So this is a pretty big deal. The birth, the exodus of Egypt is known as the, the, the birth of the Jewish people. So this is pretty amazing. A lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of gold to mine in this Parsha. So the first idea I wanted to talk about is that if you look at in the plagues in this week's Parsha, it talks about a new angle that basically this, the, the country of Egypt has been completely brought to its knees. If you think COVID brought the world to its knees, then you have to have seen these plagues. I mean, literally the economy, the health, they completely turned upside down in a very short amount of time. And at this point, the Egyptian people and really Paro himself were done. They were done. They realized God's in charge. It's over. And a very, a, I believe, once in history event. is referenced a number of times, but I'm going to reference one of them. It says that um, Paro tells Moshe, take the Jews out, no problem. And then what does it say? That God hardened the heart of Paro, and he couldn't let them go. So the reason why I say this is a once-in-history concept, because we know that the Judaism and this whole world, this whole human, the human condition is predicated on that humans have complete free will. You can have the, you have the freedom to be as great as any of the great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, anyone. But at the same time, unfortunately, Human beings have the free will to become a Hitler, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, and th those of their ilk. And so what's unique in history over here is that it seems very clear that God is actually t taking away Paro's free will. Because at this point, the Torah says that God hardened har Paro's heart. Now, what in the world does that mean? So, it's a very hard concept because it really goes against the whole grain of the world. And then there's a tremendous amount of discussion about this. And I want to share with you one explanation, which I believe is um, a very has a very practical takeaway. So, the commentator, Or Sameach, otherwise known as the Meshachachma, I believe he bases this on Maimonides, and he says, and he gives basically the following parable. Unfortunately, Bob goes out, and he uh, has a too many um, drinks, 
and I'm, he forgot to give his keys away and he gets in a car and unfortunately he's a reckless driver and causes a tremendous amount of damage while he's in that car. Now, I know you go over to Bob, the car, they, thank God the cops get to him before anything even more damage happens. They say, Bob, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. The next thing I got in the car and the next thing I know, I, I knocked into this, I knocked into that. You know, it wasn't my fault. Well, it is true that he did, it, at the moment when he was driving that car, he had no choice because he, he had lost his faculties. But he made the choice to become drunk and not be responsible when he was drunk. And therefore, I believe most courts of law, I hope, would find him completely guilty because he made a choice, which later on, even though later on he, he didn't have that choice, but he is responsible for putting himself into that state. Says the Meshachachma, based on Maimonides, this is what happened to Paro. Paro was bad to the bone, as they said when I was a kid in the 80s. Bad to the bone. It may have been earlier than that, but I was in the 80s. So um, uh, Paro lowered himself with his choice, with millions and billions of bad choices, where it got to the point where we're almost at the end here, and he got himself to the point where he lost that free will. And you could say, well, it's not fair. You know, Paro had so many chances. And, and, but now, you know, he's ready after so many plagues. You know, he, he really is willing to let the Jews go. And why are you punishing him for not letting the Jews go when you're kind of, let, you, know, taking, you know, taking control of him? And this is what our Sameach shares with us, that no, I don't want to, there's a lot more to explain on this, but simply put, a person can make choices that put them in situations which they can no longer change, but they're held responsible. And this is a huge, huge, uh, so many practical things with this. You know, we don't take care of ourselves. We don't take care of our soul or our body our friends, our family, our job, very often we can think that we're in a situation which is out of control. And it really might be at that point out of control. And always God can always intervene if you somehow, of course, God can do that. But as far as human uh, situations, a person, uh, you know, drives into a horrible storm and then they, God forbid, get an accident, they total their car, I mean, assuming they had information, you know, a lot of people may not feel bad for them. I'm not getting into whether you should feel bad for someone or not. The focus really on us is that when, so often when we may feel like, what do you want from me? Very often we make choices in our life and they affect choice later on. A, a friend of mine, Rabbi Moskowitz, he has a great analogy. He says, I don't know if this is still the case because news is usually just on the internet, but it used to be when you had the the, the weatherman, kind of get in the picture here, he would take like this, go like this, look at a, map, a huge map and say, well, the front's going over here and over there and over there. 
And often when you go in that direction, so once you go in that direction, sometimes there's no turning back. And things at that point, you may be faced with choices that don't have, there are no good choices. That's one of the, um, certainly in a relationship sometimes, we have to realize that choices we may have make may have long-term effects. And even at that, at a later point in time, when you really are right now making the best choices possible, but, um, you know, if you have to think long and hard sometimes, if there's something you may have, a choice you may have made earlier that um, is, is still having ramifications now. Okay, so we're up to the climax. Chapter 11, verse 4. Nine plagues have happened. The Egyptians are done. Jewish people are ready to roll. And Pharaoh is still hemming and hawing. And what happens? Paro and uh, Moshe have their showdown, their 10th, or more than 10th, but at least 10th, 10th plague we're up to. And Moshe says, if you don't let the Jewish people out, we're going, God is going to, in the middle of the night, on the 15th day of Nisan, the day of night of Pesach, God will make it the every Egyptian firstborn. And this was a very detailed, like all the plagues were, a very detailed um, plague that every single Egyptian house had someone die. You know, it wasn't just like, well, there's no first, somehow there was a person who was considered the firstborn. It says, ain't biased. There was no house, Shane, Shamace, that it wasn't anyone who died. And Moshe says an interesting thing. Remember, Moshe is coming from God. So God is precise. God is perfect. He doesn't need to say anything ballpark or doesn't have to say about. He can say what he's going to do and perform with um, accuracy. But yet we find an interesting thing that when Moshe is discussing the plague with Paro, he uses an interesting term, and it says, kachatsos, which means Moshe told Paro, if you don't get let the Jewish people go, all the firstborn in Egypt will die at about midnight. Talmud and Brachos asked, I just was studying this with uh, other Shorish rabbis, what does it mean? Why is Moshe telling Paro if he's God's messenger? Why is he saying about? Say it's going to happen at midnight. So Rashi brings from the Talmud that Moshe was doing the following sensitive, having the following sensitivity, and we're supposed to learn from it. So what is it? It is that, of course, God is perfect. And if Moshe is working with God, there's no need to be, give any approximations. But people are not perfect. And what's going to happen is, is that Paro is going to have his stargazers. And they are going to be looking to find the slightest nick in Moshe in, as messenger of God's um, armor. And we know if someone looks to find problems, you're going to find a problem. And then with and with certainly with people, the problem was with people, there's your problems. But with God, there are no problems. But what was Moshe concerned about? Their watch would be off 
or their approximation of midnight by looking at the sky would be off. And then they would say, ah, Moshe, eh, not so impressed. Yeah, I see you had every Egyptian die, uh, every house had an Egyptian die at midnight, and all of them happened to be firstborns in some way or another. But it's not so impressive because it happened at 1201, or it happened at 1159, which obviously is still absurd. But Moshe, therefore, did not make himself, and, and that way God, vulnerable in that way. And we see from here that it is our, this is a, I think, I don't know if it's unique to Judaism, but you, uh, uh, I've actually found that when I've exercised this concept, uh, it seems to be foreign to a lot of people, that we believe that it is our responsibility to be proactive thinkers and to think what, how can someone possibly get the wrong message from my speech or from my activities, and, and it's not just, we don't say, oh, you know, mind your own business. Why are you looking at me? Well, the reality is human nature is we are impacted. We do make judgments, and, and, and we learn from other people, and uh, that's something which, again, is our responsibility. Judaism is full. We, you know, we, we really can't do much to change other people. We can, we can, the only person we can change is ourselves, and that's what everything's about respond and a person is much happier that way people are you know kids it's well known they kids feel great when they have responsibility employees feel great and have responsibility we all feel great when we're supposed to do something so that's the Torah is full of and this is another one of those that even if someone else is wrong and even if someone else should know better and should stop sticking their nose where it doesn't belong but if i do or say something and this is again so true relationships you know i could say look you know i don't have i meant to i I had the sweetest loving intentions when I said that. I Why'd you take it in the worst way? Well, yeah, there is a point in time where someone could be extremely oversensitive and it's totally not your issue. But very often we do need to go, the ex, not often, we always are asked within, you know, normal to, to go the extra mile and to, which is not the extra mile, and to think, how can I make sure this won't be taken in the worst way? Can't be like, well, I know one time I was talking to someone and they said, you know, I knew what I said can go either way, but I was kind of hoping for the best that it will be taken in the best way. Like, kind of not nice. So that's what we learn from, from Moshe. Moving along. So play comes at this point. Paro finally says, get out of here, get out of here, go. He wants them out fast. And they're in the middle of having the Paschal lamb, and then this is why they had the matzos. We have matzah today because they were in a rush. And the Jewish people are basically on the way out. And at this juncture, during this period, the Torah shares with us a special, the first commitment, the first, one of the first, uh, commandments that the Jewish people are given as a sorry, you're a splinter, uh, as a uh, nation. Just give me a second, I wanted to get in. Okay, uh, oh, wooden desk. So, um, yeah, what is the first commandment? What is you certainly mean the first really was they got the Paschal lamb, but now they're really the Jewish people, they're rocking. What is the commandment? 
seems to not be too important or not so super inspiring, but it's the first. So God really um, must have thought long and hard, although God doesn't have to think long and hard, but it definitely made, is, is very important, the one that God chose to give. And what is it? Shem says to Moshe and Aaron, while they still were in the land of Egypt, it says this month, the month they were in, will be for you as the first of the months. The Jewish calendar, when it comes to months, the first month is the month of Nisan, the month of Pesach. Makes sense. That's when the Jewish people started. Um, And then it discusses, basically, there's a mitzvah, there's a commandment every month, and this was done in the times of the temple. Unfortunately, today, we do it in a much watered-down way because we don't have the temple on the high court. But the way it worked is that there wasn't a calendar, actually. There was not a calendar. Cal- a calendar, as far as the Jews concerned, is a relatively new concept, only about 2,000 years old. And it didn't start at the year 2000. Uh, it, was, it happened to be uh, not far from that as, as far as the grand scheme of things. But what used to be, as we know, the Jewish calendar is largely impacted by the moon. That's why we start our days at night. Jewish days start at night. And the way it used to be is that we know the, the moon waxes and wanes, right? Beginning of the month, you could barely see the moon. It gets bigger, bigger, bigger till the middle of the month, and then it goes down. And this is a cycle. And the way you knew it was the next month was not you didn't look on Google Calendar. You didn't ask Siri. The way you knew it was being the month is someone would look at, people would be on the lookout till they see the first little sliver of moon um, um, uh, appearing in, in the in the in the thick of night and then they would run to the to the high court by the temple and they would then establish the whole circumstance pomp pomp and really cool that it was the new month and you know become because we're in exile things are complicated or uh, the great Hillel approximately about the end of the second of the temple Approximately 2,000 years ago, um, it set up the calendar that we have because he knew that we were no longer going to be going to have the temple, and it would be important to have a calendar which, which incorporated the best we can do without having the temple. So, what's so incredible about that? Interesting, pretty cool. But what's so amazing about it is that God is saying, from the very onset of this Jewish people, this relationship. First, as he says, says, this month is for you. You are a part of it. Judaism says that people are so important. The human being is so important that God's saying, you have a piece in deciding when when when, when time is. The Jewish people decide when the months are, which means when the holidays are, when Pesach, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, everything. And from the very beginning, God is taking us. He's taking us from being slaves, where we had no identity and no self-value and no worth. We, he's making us say, you are so important. I am making you a part of nature. You, I, yes, I'm God and I'm in charge, but I am showing you how important I think you are because I'm making you an integral part of the Jewish, um, Jewish uh, observance. You know, so much of Judaism revolves around the calendar and when time is, when dates are. And that, we say, comes from Jew, comes from the people. 
But when we see it, then we have to sanctify it. And this, we do this process every every month uh, in Shul. It's called the sanctification of the moon. And but it's certainly not. It's based on the calendar we already have. And this, as we know, you know, you want to be productive. You want to be happy. You want to be a generous, kind person. You got to realize that you are very important. And that is the message that we want to. We want we we the greatest gift we can give to other people is to show them we respect them and we value them and we think they're important. And when people are feel valued in general and specifically they feel valued by you, they will produce, they will act in kind. And that is really the greatest thing that a person could do. At one time um, years ago, uh, our synagogue brought in a great rabbi, one of my teachers, actually Rabbi Neubiger from Baltimore. He had a whole day workshop on marriages and relationships. And he started off by saying that the most important part of any relationship is that each person independently works on themselves, that they're being the best person they can be. And when you have two people being, and then when, obviously when you have larger relationship groups, when everyone involved is being the best person they can be, and they feel good about themselves in a healthy way, then they act accordingly. Um, okay. Uh, so then the Torah starts talking about the holiday of Passover. This this story portion tells all the things we're supposed to do in future, in future generations, to have matzah on Pesach, and to not have chametz, not to have regular bread. And it's interesting, over and over again, there's this little theme. And it keeps saying, say one place it says it, chapter 12, verse 20, it says, don't eat any chametz on Pesach in your houses. Um... You should eat matzah. It's like always get rid of that. Don't have chametz. Do eat matzah. And this is a uh, formula for success at really anything. For example, let's say a person has a toothache, a tooth problem. The first thing they got to do is they got to clean the teeth, make sure there's nothing there that could be causing problems. And once the things are all removed that could be causing problems, then you could be proactive and do what you got to do, whatever has to be done. And this applies to cars. You have a problem. The first thing they're going to do is make sure all the stuff that's getting in the way is out. And this is a the Pesach is the paradigm of how very often we may say this something is just not working. I keep doing this and I keep doing that. And this situation is not working. This relationship is not working. Whatever it might be. But often you're trying to eat your matzah while you still have your comments. And you got to get rid of whatever is in the way first, right? <laughs> um, you know, someone uh, keeps telling someone, I love you, I love you. And at the same time, they're punching them out. I love you, I love you, right? <laughs> right? It doesn't mean anything. So that's something, a good uh, troubleshooting thing to think. Sometimes, the, I believe, you know, I've, I've hired consultants for different things. I've 
obviously you have in any in any year professionally or in life the first thing you look at for is say what's 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 in the way what's being done wrong and what's uh pro, what's stopping a lot of times a person can be doing all the things right already just they're they're not really producing if uh there's things that are are in the way okay now the jewish people are getting ready to leave this point the egyptians want them out and there is some finished unfinished business with that god tells moshe has to take place see many years earlier god made a promise to abraham abraham and sarah that he told them about the jews who were going to be enslaved in egypt and that they would go out and he one thing he said as a part of it interesting why it was a part of it but it was a part of it that the jews would go out with a great inheritance god says to moshe look you know abraham is going to be upset you know the jews are getting out of egypt which you would think is great enough but he god doesn't need to like cut corners if god says that the jews are going to come out with um with uh with um energy with with um money and big riches and that's what's going to happen so um god tells moses tell the jews they got to go to the egyptians and basically ask them for all their money ask them for a lot of their money so at this point you think it'd be an obvious thing the egyptians are kind of brought to their feet and they're hopefully the ones that are alive i guess are happy they're alive and they would be thrilled here take the money go go but what does the torah say torah doesn't say that torah says the jews went to uh the egyptians to get the silver and the gold and fancy garments and then it says that hashem put the favor the chain the, the favor of the jewish people in the eyes of the egyptians and the Egyptians complied. Very interesting. You would think at this point, it's a done deal. Jews come, they get what they want, but yet God, we said the Torah says Hashem added a, a layer here. He made it very pleasant. He made it that the Jews found favor. The Egyptians were, were happy to do it, whatever it was. It was a pleasant experience. You know, sometimes collecting something from someone or getting something from someone that someone is supposed to give to you or is coming to you can be on a very unpleasurable experience or it could be very pleasurable. So what did I what I want to bring out from here is that often there is the there's the God factor that we I, I myself I and I believe uh the 12 steps programs to recovery really uh got this I think from the Torah that often we forget that there really is a supernatural power and we have may feel we're we're exhausted we've tried everything we can to make something work for ourselves and a relationship and a work whatever it might be our spirituality but we're up against the brick wall and it's not working you know there is the god, god factor god can make can make the egyptians just be happy to do it it says god made the Jewish people have favor. We find by Esther also, it says that she was just, people liked her. And sometimes and that, that's a piece which can be very, very helpful in life 
And sometimes you feel everything's exhausted. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how I'm ever going to get along with that person. You can pray to God and you say, God, can you just make things work? And God, God is very happy to oblige um, when we've done our part. And he wants to hear from us and say, you know, Hashem, can you help us with this? So a person has to, has to pray for themselves, pray for their family, pay for their friends, pay for everything. There's nothing you don't pray for. And that's a big, big part in, in, in relationships, bringing God in, a lot, especially because you're really not in control of the other person. And, and, but, but God can help. God really can help. And God can make the Egyptians uh, even uh, have uh, think favorably about the, uh, the Jews. Two more ideas, and we'll wrap up. It says, in verse 41, so the Jews got their um, their treasures. Time for the Jews to leave. It says, it had been the, 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 uh, the, the final four, it's complete. The Jews were supposed to be, it's a long, it's interesting how we get to this, to this number, but it was supposed to be 430 years. And then it says, and it was at the end of 430 years, smack in the middle of the day, God took the Jews out of Egypt. A lot of hyperbole. What does Rashi say? Rashi says over here, Verse 41, as soon as this teaches us that as soon as the time was up, God did not keep them in Egypt. It was it happened like this. It was God had deemed a certain amount of time they had to be in this situation. As soon as time was up, like the bat of an eyelash. It was time to come out. That's what God had decreed, and that is what God did and this is such a to me uh um a a optimistic and true thing about the world you know right now we're going through a uptick in uh the, the covid pandemic and there's so many other things that are challenging but god's in the driver's seat and somehow he's somehow God got some plan that makes sense for us, but some things can change like that. God can completely change everything in a second, and if you want something to, to stop, it stops. And um, you don't have to, it's not like you're stuck in a situation where all oh, you'll just drag on longer than it's supposed to, it will go exactly how long it's supposed to go. And God wants to hear from us. And often God can decide, you know, it's fine, it's over. And that we believe that and we connect to God in that way, snap, things could be gone. One more, just, I think an obvious thing is that we have the, one of the most commonly observed Jewish traditions is in this week's Torah portion, chapter 13, verse 14. It discusses the imperative to have a seder. One of the most, even people who don't, don't connect to Judaism throughout the whole year. A lot of people, they have some sort of seder with family or even by themselves, however you do it. But having that Pesach seder 
is uh, that's what's really kept one of the one of the many Jewish observances. But this may be one of the most powerful and most observed is the Pesach Seder. And wanted to quote one: What is the essence of the Seder? And really, to that sense, what's the essence of Judaism? So it says, after the Jews are out, and we're talking about how this should be observed in the future from all generations. It says, and it will be that your son, your child will ask you tomorrow, meaning future generations will ask you. And they'll try to understand what's, what's going on over here. Why do we have a Seder? What's Judaism? What is all this? And you'll tell them. You'll be able to tell them. You'll be able to tell them about your rich tradition, about the stories and the culture and the and the spirituality and the relationship that we have with God and the glorious history that we have. And you'll be able to tell them. And that really is, is, is what Judaism, that's the bedrock of Judaism. We, we have a glorious um, tradition going back thousands of years and we have nothing to be ashamed of, everything to be proud of. And, and, and that's something which we really need, that, that's the way Judaism is gonna continue. Judaism of course will continue, we're guaranteed it will continue. But the, we, 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 we have what to be proud of. We have nothing to listen to out there. Uh, when a person feels proud of who they are, they're a great, functioning, generous person. And that is one of the main messages, maybe the main message um, that we get from the Seder. And just a quick review. So we talked about how God, so to speak, hardened Paro's heart. What does that mean? He took away his free will. Can't take away our free will. That's the human condition. But a person sometimes makes choices, and that later on make it that they're stuck. But they was it was their choice that got them there. We need to take responsibility for those choices. We learned about how Moshe, when he spoke and he he forecasted the um, the uh, plague of the firstborn, and he said it in an approximate way. Of course, he knew when it was, and God knew when it was. But it was to be careful when you talk. You don't. You want to make sure you give them a very clear impression, so people won't make mistakes based on what you say. We learned how Hashem. One of the first mitzvahs we got was that we are instrumental in the calendar, and we are important. That was the first message God wanted to say. You are important. You are a part of the program. We learned how first you got to get rid of that chametz, then you have your matzah. Many situations, there's something in the way, and that's why things aren't working. We learned how the God factor. Sometimes you got to, or all the time, you got to bring God into the picture. He can suave something just to make something just work. Give the favor, make thing, maybe people want to do something. Uh, we learned how and when something is supposed to ha be done, it's done. And that's a very strong sense of hope that we can have. We can know God has a set amount of time something's going to happen. And as long as it's going to happen, it'll happen. When it's time to be over, it will be over instantly. Lastly, we learned about the glorious, glorious tradition that we have um, going dating back thousands of years. And we have everything to be proud of coming from so much uh, authenticity and transcendence and meaning. And you should have a wonderful Shabbos. Certainly read over the, the, the whole Torah, Torah portion. This is the week the Jewish people are born. Thanks for coming on. Have a good Shabbos.